0: Matt Dwyer here, and I want to thank you for listening to my podcast. If you wish to become a bigger part of the world of Conversations with Dwyer, go to themattdwyer.com slash shop and purchase a T-shirt or a phone case with the Conversations with Dwyer logo right on it. It's that little head, round head thingy. Uh, That was created by Charlene Yee. That'll help support the podcast and spread the word. Also, you could become a Patreon subscriber. You could also find that link at thematwire.com. For $5 a month, you get extended interviews, video versions of the interviews. You get bonus episodes, all kinds of extra content, sometimes blogs. And there's different tiers, but the $5 one definitely is, I think, affordable affordable for everybody. Thank you very much for listening. Please support the podcast. And now let's listen to this episode of Conversations with Dwyer.
1: I'm going to take my power back.
0: Conversations with Dwyer. I'm Matt Dwyer. This is a music podcast, and speaking of music, that song that played me in is called It's Your Mind, and that is from the EP Fear of Breakdown, and that is by Pet Dress, and Mackenzie Howe, who is Pet Dress, is my guest today, and she's also was in the band Wild Reads. And they're all really good. And I really dig Dress a lot. Uh, she's a really great songwriter. And if you don't know it, please go buy it. Don't stream it. Buy it. All links to all things Mackenzie Howe are in the show notes. She also has a vintage shop and a vintage. And you could shop and find all that stuff on the uh, on the Instagram, which is called Bandwagon Vintage. All these things in the show notes. And also, if you like this episode and if you want to hear more, well, guess what? You can. There's like 45, 50 more minutes of it on Patreon We talked for almost two hours That entirety of the interview is on my Patreon I know I plugged Patreon before the show And my merch uh, Go, But you can go to the Slash shop And buy some t-shirts and a phone case I know, I just plugged it It's annoying But I'm, I'm, you know We live in a capitalistic society I don't like capitalism But we live in that society and I have kids who I would like to feed, so buy a T-shirt. <laughs> how about that for some guilt? You know, because that's how I operate. Guilt. I grew up an Irish Catholic. My mom guilted me. She made me feel bad. My mom used to actually, she used to legitimately say to me, if I needed help, well, what would you do if I wasn't here? Like, I already had a death complex and an abandonment issues, and that really just didn't help, Mom. If you're listening, Mom, that didn't help. Um, and if you like Mackenzie... How and Pet Dress. Also, her partner in life is Grady Strange. He was on the show a couple weeks ago. Check out my past library. I've had a lot of great guests on the show. If you like her music and cool indie music, I've had legends and old legends, new artists, established artists. Go to themattdwire.com, go click on the episodes button, and you could see everybody. You could see the faces and the names. If you can't read, you can recognize the faces and you'd be like, I know that guy. He's in the Flaming Lips. I'm going to listen to that episode. And if you can read, what a bonus, because then you could look at their faces and read their names and know really what you're getting into. Um, so that's that. The TheMattDweyer.com, great place to jumping off for all things me, Matt Dwyer, so please go there. And on the Patreon, all episodes go up early, just so you know. FYI. Alright, enough of my hoodly-doo. Please go to the show notes, check out Mackenzie's uh, Vintage shop Check out her music Buy her music Support music And please enjoy This conversation With Mackenzie Howe
1: It's kind of con- Controversial to say But I don't think People are born addicts Like I know they say There's a gene I really do think It comes from Like a good amount Of childhood trauma Or neglect Or shit that's Happened in your life So um I can see where my mom's addiction came from and I was very lucky because she was sober the first 10 years of my life and was a very present mom. So I feel like in those really formative years I like um I got really lucky and I feel like that's a lot of why I'm slightly more stable than I should be. I mean I still like I'm in therapy. I'm on antidepressants. Like I'm not, you know, by any means like a perfect human being. But I got really lucky because I think those early years are like really when your psyche and your personality and your morality and your emotional intelligence, all that stuff's being formed. And then I had like a very intense community when she did relapse and she left. So I was able to like really be held by this community that I like, it was quite a, like, it takes a village. It was, I had a village. So yeah, I got lucky in that way, but I can see, you know, Even in myself, I mean, struggling with smoking. Like, I have shit from her, you know, or from my childhood, whatever it is.
0: Yeah. What was the community that you found yourself among? Was it like friends and family?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I grew up going to a Waldorf school which people joke about being a cult. <laughs> hey, hey, <One> <laughs>
0: I'm not exactly sure what it is. I've heard the name bandied about in Los Angeles, but I've, I'm have i not sure what that is.
1: It's, I, I went my entire life, pre-K through 12th grade, so 15 years, and I fucking loved it. Like, I love it. I love Waldorf education. It was created by this Austrian philosopher, Rudolf Steiner. It's like very much like a, they take the child's entire being into consideration. So like their soul and their karma and their talent, and they don't have grades. So there isn't this standard that every kid has to meet. It's very individual and it's really, really like art and music based and tactile, you know, lots of things with your hands, hunting and gardening and knitting. But my class was only like 25 kids. So when my mom left, I got to stay with the same 25 kids. My high school was 100 kids. And I had the same teachers for most of my life. So I walked onto this 11 acre, like essentially farm every day and was still greeted by the same people, was still loved by the same people, saw the same parents and kids that I had known since I was practically in diapers. So that, I really think that saved my life in a lot of ways.
0: What what do people see that is cultish about that? Because I don't know if I see it.
1: <laughs> um, great question. I think that there are some, like, really funny rules in Waldorf education. Like, they're very anti-TV and technology. And they're very into uh, everything being natural and organic. So, like, I wasn't allowed to wear disney princess clothing or shoes to school i wasn't allowed to talk about tv at school um there's a you know there's i don't know how it is now because smartphones that's got to be really difficult especially with the high schoolers <laughs> but but there's just it's that kind of stuff and and then there's like all of this german um like all of our crayons are made of beeswax and it's sort of this like subculture that if you went to a Waldorf school and you talk to someone else who went to a Waldorf school they're like oh the crayons you know about the crayons you know (laughs) you oh felt felt and dolls with no faces and you're like yes that was my childhood dolls with no faces so that's where people think it's culty because they're like and they don't like force you to read too young so a lot of people are like hey my third grader can't fucking read and you're like you know while their teachers going to be like they'll get there when they get there <laughs> <laughs> but it works like it's like it's like a different oven you're baking for a lot longer and slower but the but the product is so <laughs> lovely at the end it's not overbaked or overcooked and they didn't just cram a bunch of shit in their brain just to regurgitate it you know
0: yeah no i'm a guy who has a 5 year old and with her going to school like homeschool for the last year I would listen in on class, and I'd be like, they're still fucking talking about this shit? Like, you know... I know. Like, I'm just like, fuck this. <laughs> like, because we, we used to argue, not argue, debate, like, intellectualize, like, you know, the importance of putting our kids in public schools because it supports the community, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm sort of like, but if they're just teaching this propagandist bullshit, they still do the fucking Pledge of Allegiance. And I'm like, fuck that. Fuck it.
1: Yeah. I never knew the the pledge of allegiance growing up.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Good, you shouldn't. It's a, it's a load of. I mean, it's literally a load of bullshit. All of it.
1: I know, I know. And there's a lot of like we said this thing called the morning verse every morning, and it's like essentially like a almost like a poem that's like you thank the earth and the sun and you know the ground for the food and. But that was, like, our Pledge of Allegiance, and... um a lot more yeah, logical,
0: never- in my opinion, to be quite... I, like, <laughs> I mean, I know I'm a dirty leftist and all that, and I st- strongly loathe our government about
1: <laughs> Same, same, same. And, like, I'm like, maybe I'm just a product of my environment, but I think especially for little kids like their imagination is so incredibly important and that's going to go away. They have the rest of their life to look at a textbook or a smartphone, like that period where they're in like dreamy world. I feel like that's what Waldorf is amazing at is they just like, they let, they cultivate that. Like it's the most important thing. And I think that creates a really, really strong, like um, logical thinking. I don't know that eventually leads to someone who can do math really well because they were able to imagine and play and dream for the first five years of their life or seven years of their life. So I'm a big fan. Let the children play.
0: Even Noam Chomsky went to like a, he went to some kind of school where they didn't grade and it was just sort of like, Oh, you like this thing and we'll guide you that way. And fucking Noam Chomsky. <laughs> like it's...
1: Totally. Everyone was so worried. Like, well, how will you get into college? And then basically the last two years of going to a Waldorf school was like, it was hysterical. It was like our normal curriculum. And then it was the like, here's how we're going to prepare you for the real world separate class. Almost like we had tutors just for the SATs. Cause they were like, we hate this. We're sorry. But those of you who want to go to college, we're just going to teach you how to fucking get through this thing that we don't care about, but you're going to have to know it. And like, Kids from Waldorf go to Juilliard. I'm like, dude, this whole thing about us not having standardized testing, it's bullshit.
0: I totally agree. I find it all... Like, now that I have to... I was... I kind of made my own Waldorf school and just was like, fuck this, I'm not going. <laughs> <laughs> and I went and hung out in a theater in downtown Chicago. That was more like... I was just like, fuck... Because I just... I don't, I don't want to say I was consciously aware of it, but I definitely was like, this is bullshit. Like... Yeah. This, these clicks, these people, everybody, like everybody in my high school was like, like pre-uppy. They were like already thinking about BMWs and like getting married. And I was like, no, no, this is not what you do. You, you, yeah. this should be the last shit you're thinking about.
1: But that's how you ended up here. I guess so. You know?
0: Yeah. Okay. Your road
1: zigzagged instead of <laughs> maybe your road zigzagged instead of being paved perfectly and knowing, okay, you know, I go get a grown up job and get married and do the damn thing. Right. Some people not cut out for that. I'm not.
0: I mean, I've tried. Have you ever tried to have like a nine to five office job?
1: Yeah. I'm, oh my God. I'm a failure. I can't do it.
0: That's not a failure. That's a success because it's like I did it. I did it for a year and eight months because I had a kid and I was like, oh, this is the thing. Like I felt like I needed to be responsible, but I was like, I was dying. Like I was dying (laughs) (laughs) and like my, my relationship with my partner suffered greatly. Like, yeah, and I was just like, in my opinion or not even like from my experience, like humans aren't meant to live like that. And these corporate, the, the corporate speak and the corporate behavior, like, I'm like, none of this, you know, is natural to like, I think, you know, people like, that's why people admire guys like, you know, uh, Dujango Reinhardt so much. Cause he just like drifted around and did whatever the fuck he wanted. And it's like, that's what we're supposed to be doing.
1: <laughs> I know. I know. And it's hard. Cause you're like, it's a very privileged position to be in, to not have to work a nine to five, but it's also like, dude, we're like, we're tribal creatures. Like we, we, we were never supposed to be cooped up. And I think there's some people whose brains are so like organizational that they just love that shit. And I'm like more power to you. We need you. But that is not, that's not me. Can't do it. (laughs) Cannot sit there with an Excel spreadsheet. (laughs) I don't even know how to use word document, which no one even uses anymore because it's ancient. It's like dinosaur technology now.
0: Yeah. Do you feel like all the, the ward, Waldorf, like uh, I couldn't get it out there for a second. Like that, <laughs> that laid sort of the groundwork for you, what you ended up becoming like as a musician. And was that made you Absolutely. E- easily adapt to that?
1: Yeah. But it's funny because I was around so many gifted musicians, like kids in my class were putting out albums in high school and went on to be, you know, in really incredible projects. And I was so intimidated that I was never the best musician. I was never the best artist So I really wanted to go to college and do the, like, I wanted to know what it felt like to be normal. Like I wanted braces. I wanted a football team. I wanted like normal. And we had none of that. And so, you know, by the time I graduated high school, I was like, okay, actually, this is way cooler. I'm really glad that didn't happen, but I still wanted to go to college and feel what that was like. And I couldn't figure out what to study. And then I did and I got a degree and I still had this itch that was like, I just want to be in a band though. Like I'm not, I don't want to go get a big girl job. I still just want to be in a band. And I shoved that down for four years and like got my degree and had a bunch of fun. And after college is when I was like, you know what, I'm just going to go try to be in a band for like a year, like find some people, see if there's a band that needs someone. And then I did, I joined a band the year after college and that's what ended up happening for the subsequent eight or nine years until we're here now so it was kind of an accident but it was also like I think that I I couldn't have been able to do that had I not left this little Waldorf bubble where everyone was like a fucking savant and I didn't have the guts to go out on my own or write my own music or anything I had to go to college make a bunch of new friends and be separated from that whole world to be like I'm good enough to do this, you know.
0: That's great, though, that you were able to realize that you needed to find something else. I think a lot of people don't. I said, yeah. that, I said that with uncertainty, but I think you know it's hard to break out of like your bubble and your your mode, especially if it's there's a safety to it.
1: Absolutely, totally. Like I cried. My whole senior year, I didn't want to leave, but I also was just so ready to have different friends, the same friends, my whole life for 15 years. Okay. (laughs) I was so ready. I was ready to like be a weirdo and pretend to be normal. Like go to this school and be like, yeah, backpacks and textbooks. Yeah. (laughs) Like I had no idea what I was, what, but I did it and I made normal friends.
0: (laughs) Was like to grow to be around like, was it intimidating to be around people who were like these savants as a as a young person?
1: Yeah, like I can't explain it, but I mean, some of the kids I grew up with, it was like insane, like just incredible, incredible musicians and artists. If you ever look up like what celebrities went to Waldorf schools, it's very funny Um, because it's not people you would expect, but. Yeah. I was, I was, there was no standard of like, you need to be this amazing. That's what's funny about it. Like, it's such an, it's such an open space. You're allowed, like everyone is encouraged to be whoever they want to be. But I was still just like, oh my God, like I'm surrounded by these people who all like rip at their instruments and you know, I can't, I'm not even going to try. It's just too embarrassing. So I didn't
0: try. Is there, is there a connection between, and I'm going to flake on the band's name, but I know it's Susie Quattro. Is there a connection between that sort of these people who are like savants with music and then you hearing uh, Susie Quattro's, what is her, f- I'm flaking on it. Her, the Pleasure Seekers? Yes. I knew it had a P in it. So I was partway there. <laughs> yeah. But like, was there a because? I read about how you The first time you heard that And I love those moments in general in life Where you hear something and it's like You've been hit by lightning Because you said you were hit by the rawness And sort of, you know, the garage And I was wondering Is there a connection between that And you moving on to Or like sort of finding yourself in music
1: I, I think maybe you just made that connection for <laughs> <laughs> <I'm
0: sorry>. me. <laughs> was I, I wasn't looking for it It just sort of hit me but
1: yeah, no. I, I is think there truth totally, to that or
0: did I just totally yes. fabricated it?
1: Yes, there is like <laughs> I in junior high. I got really into punk and ska and I, no one else in my class was really into that. And I was kind of almost made fun of for it. And then in high school, I just went to DIY shows and punk shows and ska shows. And I think I really liked that no one had to be really good. Um, and that it was scrappy. And then that moved into more so like, being into folk, I got really into folk music in college and like, you know, found Bob Dylan and was like, Oh my God. And so I, that's the same thing where it's kind of like music for the people by the people. No one, you know, no one's gotta be incredible. Your voice can crack. It doesn't matter. But I've always been way more drawn to rock and roll than I have anything else. And like, I love all genres of music, especially at this point in my life and appreciate musicianship more than I ever have. But I think the first time I heard the pleasure seekers, I think I was struck by yeah. How raw it was and how young they were and how confident they sounded. Like I didn't, I didn't sing out loud at 17 to anyone, you know, I was way too terrified. So it always blows my mind when you hear some kids who are just like, so confident and don't give a fuck. It's really cool. And uh, yeah, it was really inspiring. I've like always loved Susie Quattro's voice because I feel like it's not perfect in the best way. And um, I don't know if you don't know the pleasure seekers record, whoever might be hearing this, go listen to it. It like, it didn't exist for years and years and years. And now it's been dredged up on the internet. And I actually emailed Susie Quattro once and she was like how the hell did you find my high school band
0: that's crazy i read about that too i know it's amazing though i mean a lot of my guests on my podcast i just like i was like i wonder if they'll respond like van dyke parks i within five minutes he responded to me on twitter and i was just like okay i was like did not expect it at all but like i also think there's an uh, not that he's not punk but like uh, there's an ethic to the old punk Era people, where I think there is less like of a they don't give a fuck. They're like, yeah, let's do something. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I want. I don't know if you could speak to this, but like that moment with hearing the pleasure seekers. There's something that always, just from talking to a lot of musicians, the the rawness and sort of not great musicianship for like, you know, just the rawness and truth of it, like seems to hit a lot of people. And I wonder why that is always, am I making sense? (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, that always strikes me when I hear something and I stop and it's, there's something like a raw, rawness to it and an honesty that you don't get in a lot of other. And I always wonder why that is the one thing that seems to hit people.
1: I think, I think it's because, When you're watching somebody perform or listening to somebody perform, you're like, you're identifying with them. And when somebody is truly free in that moment, like you can really feel in your heart that they don't give a fuck. And it's coming from this pure place. It's almost like watching somebody have an exorcism or be possessed And it gives everybody else in the room permission to be their most honest, true selves. Like so much of going to shows when I was growing up was just wishing I could do that. But really what I was wishing is that I had the guts and comfortability within myself to be that free in front of a group of people. And so when you watch someone or hear someone be that free, it's so mesmerizing because it's really all we want. You know, like it's like watching a kid dance around naked because they don't know they're naked yet. Like, (laughs) you just, (laughs) we all just want to feel that confident and free, but we also all want to get into that place in us where we can just scream or let something out, especially in front of other people. Yeah. And there's some introverts who are like, but I I wouldn't, I don't want that. And so, excuse my terminology here saying we all, because it's not we all, but. Yeah, I don't know. It, it's like there's something about watching somebody perform from this really raw, deep place that it's like I'm watching God come out of somebody. I don't know. I, and that's why I think that's why I think, yeah, punk and DIY stuff can be so moving for certain people. It gives them permission.
0: yeah. I wonder about that, though, with introverted people. I wonder, because I would say that at times I am introverted or definitely social awkward, but there's always this underlying, like, I want to, I wish I could break through. Like, I, yeah. think, I think a lot of people really wish they could break through.
1: I think so, too. I can, And I can, I can be introverted sometimes as well. I can get really, like, avoidant in certain social situations, and it has nothing to do with, like... It's like almost like a, I don't want to expel extra energy, you know? I
0: don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like, and I think this to a degree goes back to the whole your schooling and like, I feel like, and you t- we talked about trauma and I think these all sort of connect of like we begin to put layers on ourselves as a mode of survival. <clears throat> and yeah. I, I feel like personally for me, I'm at a point in my life where I'm like, okay, I want to get rid of uh, these, these layers aren't me. These are just things I had to do to adapt and survive. And I don't want to fucking be this anymore (laughs) because it, and I question, I'm not a psychiatrist or a spiritual leader, but I question how much of our mental health relies on uh, is fucked up because we've layered ourselves and like to a level performed our entire lives
1: oh my gosh, 100%. Like we, I think a lot of times our, our coping mechanisms from childhood end up hindering us way later on. And so a lot of the shit that we're, we end up trying to unpack with a psychologist or a psychiatrist or a therapist, it all like self-healing as an adult, it all ends up being like coddling the wounds of the kid that created the tough guy or created the, the guy that can't cry or created the woman that has to like, feel like she needs to lead with her sexuality always. Like a lot of it is just stuff we unfortunately acquired to survive when we were young. And now you're like, I don't, you, it's exactly what you said. You're like, I don't need this bag. Can I get rid of this backpack and that <laughs> backpack? Like I got too much shit going on, <laughs> too much luggage. And you, so yeah.
0: Yeah. Did you find or begin to find a, a freedom for yourself within like expressing yourself through music?
1: Yeah, and it took so long. It took so long. I did not sing into a microphone or plug in an electric guitar until I was 23 or 24. And even then, I was probably standing still, stiff as a board on stage for the first four years of performing live. And I did it all year long when we toured our asses off. It wasn't until my later 20s that all of a sudden I felt this freeness in my body to start moving around on stage. It was like involuntary. And then suddenly it was all I wanted to do. It was like, I just wanted the music. I just wanted to move, but I couldn't believe, I mean, it took me a really, really long time. And that's like why I said, when I see kids, 17 year olds in bands who are just completely in their body and free in their art, it's so cool. Cause that took me so long.
0: Was there, a, do you know like when that freedom hit? Was it just like literally just like, bam, I'm free? Or was there a process or was there things you were doing outside of creating? Because I know you have a spiritual side to you, which I'm also very interested in.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm interested in everyone's spiritual side, so we can talk about that. Um, I think it was sl- a slower process than I realized, but it did sort of feel like one year suddenly my body kicked in and I just felt the need to move while when we performed and I hadn't I think I was also just so much more comfortable playing guitar than I ever had been and it was like okay now this thing in my hands is a bit more fluent and I don't have to think about it and when you don't have to think about it then you can just move with your body but I definitely the times on stage when I'm the most stiff is when I'm like do not fuck this song up do not play this. <laughs> no, no then I'm not moving anywhere you know <laughs> so yeah yeah well I think it was slower than I realized
0: were you fronting this band as well while you were being so stiff
1: yeah I was well it's well I was being so stiff it's true um <laughs> I was one of three front women so uh, it was a really interesting collaborative process where we had three lead singers. We all sang backups and harmonies with each other. And then we all wrote songs. And we had like a very democratic, like we we play a similar amount of all of each other's songs live. So, so there were, yeah, I was a front woman, but I was also a, a behind the scenes woman. It just oscillated.
0: That's very, I feel like I don't see that a lot. Like there's usually some you know, especially in bands, it's even the Beatles when it's like, George Harrison is great. They're like in back, pal.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like it, it was really similar to that for a long time. We couldn't figure out what to like, how to describe it or how to identify because you don't see that with women a lot. There's often like a token female or we've like, yeah, I could go on for hours about the music industry and women. Cause it's so fucked up, but the Beatles is a really great example because there were multiple songwriters and singers and it wasn't till later that we were like, that's more so what we've been going for. But we just kept trying to think of female like, um, examples and it wasn't working. And then we were like, yes, the Beatles, but it's like, it's exactly like you said, people pick favorites, people sort of see some of them just as inevitably in the back. It was all of that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. When did you, cause if you, you When did you start writing songs? Because I found that, because you, and singing, like, when did you decide to, because you're a great songwriter. I was I was going all over your music today. and uh, Oh, thanks. <laughs> it's really um, great.
1: Thank you. Gosh. I wrote, I think I wrote, I played a lot of, like, other people's songs. I learned to play a lot of songs in my late teens and early 20s just on guitar. But I think I wrote my first song for my best friend's wedding. And I would say... I was 23. Yeah, I was 23.
0: And you, the first t- time you performed that song was at a wedding for the first time? Was that a
1: wedding? Yeah.
0: How, how was that? I mean, it's a terrifying <laughs> experience, I would imagine.
1: Yeah, totally. I, I think there was something about it that the song was not autobiographical that I was like, oh, this is easier. Like it was for somebody else and about somebody else that made it a lot easier. But that song became, uh, when I joined the band that I was in, it became one of our songs. And it became a song that we ended up performing for years. And a bunch of other people would ended up telling us they got married to it, which was so crazy. Because it wasn't like we advertised like this had been a wedding song. It just became people's wedding song. Um, But after that, I think... Like right now I'm in a period where like, I just can't write music and I don't even feel like it. And I'm not even trying or lying to myself, but all those years that I was in that band, I having two other songwriters in the band put fire under my ass. And I think some people can be like really creatively motivated by like a good amount of competition or just knowing there's almost a deadline. And I think without that now I'm kind of just like, (laughs) just playing guitar for grady and maybe i'll write a song again someday but uh in that band i wrote a lot every year it's crazy
0: with your when you're currently not writing i don't know i just like is it does it hover in the back of your brain like i should be doing this or you just like in in your space
1: yeah it haunted me it haunted me like, like really bad all through my twenties. I'm 32 now. And I would get like, I would cry if I couldn't write a song or if it had been a while because I felt such severe pressure to pump out songs and better songs and better songs. And I think I would read a bunch of books and try a bunch of different artist exercises. And I think after I put out, um, my solo on oh, my
0: dog's going to bark right
1: now. She hears something. Okay. After, after I put out my, my, my oh, here she goes. It's totally
0: fine. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be the, it wouldn't be the first uh, dog interruption on my podcast. And I have dogs. So.
1: Okay, good. Okay, good. good.
0: And I can edit. Um, is that? Is yes, that?
1: please edit because she's going to keep going. I'm going to let her, hold on one second. It's fine. No, no we're back that never happened
0: it's um i like imperfections are like i i'm totally fine with i enjoy him actually because i feel like it adds okay when i had dale crover on like his kid burst in the room twice His dog burst in the room three times and then stayed there. So it's just like, it's life. What are you going to fucking do?
1: I mean, she's been here the whole time. She's just been asleep.
0: So, oh, so she, she, that's what I do to people.
1: She's no, no, our neighbors, our neighbors just got here. So she heard them and she was like, "Ah!" Um, (laughs) okay, we were saying, what were we writing music? Yes. Yes. Beat myself up a lot. I'm, I'm done. I can't do that anymore. I like, it, it was killing me, made me feel like shit all the time. And now I'm at this point in my life where I don't know that it's all that healthy, but I'm just kind of like, yeah, no, nope, not doing it. Not going to do that. Like don't want to do it. Don't feel like doing it.
0: Are you waiting for something to strike you or something in that, or you just don't even give a fuck if that happens?
1: I think... So I write a lot like in my journal and if I get like an idea or I get lyrics in my head, I write them down. So I haven't written a song in over a year, but I've written a shitload of lyrics. But I think that uh, I think there is like some sort of blockage happening. um, That's like probably a little bit deeper and more sad than I realize. And it's just a lot easier to be like, I don't feel like it. So I'm not going to do it because I beat myself up for so many years. I don't want to do that anymore, but I do feel like I randomly get really sad that I don't want to write. And then I think about picking up a guitar to write. And then I'm like, I don't feel like it. So I don't know. I think, I think there is something deeper there that I haven't been able to quite figure out, but I think eventually it'll happen again.
0: Yeah. We'll see. I just feel like it's in cycles too. And sometimes those cycles are like, I'll, I just had like a creative burst. And then ever since, I've just been kind of, uh, not mentally well.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It can be draining, you know, or yeah,
0: totally. I've been kind of chaotic in my head and also kind of, I don't know, lethargic or whatever, but I'm like, I'm not like, I got to start doing something. It's like, I'm like, I need to fucking take a break. And refuel because it is a thing where you also need to have stimulus and things coming in so you could regurgitate it out, so to speak.
1: Totally, totally very
0: poetic way of putting it.
1: (laughs) No, no, you're absolutely right. We've applied like a very, very capitalistic mindset to art and to entertainment and to music, and it's just so unfortunate because like as if we haven't learned, look at what happens to all of our pop stars. <clears throat> or like i mean it's just not it's not the right format for creativity it kills creativity to be like pump it out pump it out more 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 better yeah. doesn't work it's a cyclical thing it's a seasonal thing and also it's not just one thing like i'm not just a musician i'm i'm like i don't even know what i am people ask now and i'm like i don't know what i do i don't even know what to do when that question comes up i like like, my brain, like, short circuits, and I'm like, I am, I don't, I.
0: There's Also, I feel like in Los Angeles, there's a, there's a weird collective pressure that people put on themselves about that, like, what are you working, like, people feel like if they're not working on something, and it's like, I used to feel shame about that when people be like, oh... Which is also another, and I'm not b- blaming the city. I blame the people. <laughs> it's like, I don't, you know what I mean? Because <laughs> I think there's so many distorted views of Los Angeles, and I'm like, you don't know yeah. this fucking city, so shut up. <laughs> yeah, Because I love the city, and I think it's yep. way, and you grew up here. I've only been here 20 years, but you know it better than I do.
1: I mean, 20 years makes you a native, local, whatever it is.
0: Yeah. And I feel like what people don't understand, one thing that the people don't understand about is how working class it is of a city. Like everyone thinks it's just everyone's got fake boobs and is working on a reality show. And it's like, no, it's a very strong, I mean, at its core, I think it's a working class city more than it is a showbiz city.
1: Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, most of the people in showbiz are also, you know, waiting tables or bartending or doing whatever they're doing and... Yeah, it is. You, you're so right about that question. About when people say, "What are you working on?" Because I feel like maybe they're trying to be nice and not just say, "What?" So, what do you do? Because that is like, I don't know. That's, that's just
0: the me. other question too. That's the other question, but
1: but I think in my head, "What are you working on?" is nicer. Like it's like doesn't put as much pressure on the person, but then it still has a lot of pressure because you're like, "What if I'm just What if I'm just been to, I don't know my laundry." the pile of laundry. Like, I don't
0: know what. I'm just going to start responding. Uh, I'm a human being absent of essence and that's just all I'm there gonna, you
1: go.
0: Just throw. Some... Or you
1: could just be like, I had a child and that is a huge, I, that's what I'm working on. Yeah. <laughs> I made a person.
0: Oh, I inherited a bunch of money. I'm doing nothing.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Normalize it. Hey, you know,
0: <laughs> is there, is, do you feel there's a spiritual connection with your creativity? Cause I know like, I, I don't, I, I forget yeah. who I was reading this about, but there was like a creative, their creative journey was in sort of with their spiritual journey and self journey of self. And I was like, Yeah. I
1: think Grady I'm sure had some things to say about that as well. Um, yeah, it definitely is. And I also think that your creativity like really comes I'm a very childlike place in you and your ability to like play, like just be playful or free or like sensual it's all wrapped up in that. And so I think sometimes when I get frustrated at the lack of creativity that I have, I feel myself start to throw a childlike tantrum. It's really weird. I can get really tantrum-y and like feel like I'm five again and just want to be like it's not fair and i think a lot of that is that like i feel like almost like abandoned by god or something like what the hell like why aren't songs coming to me like why am i not just waking up and feeling like creating shit all day like why does that happen to other people and all of this is totally ridiculous but it's my inner dialogue and and it I definitely, my creativity and spirituality are definitely intertwined to the point where like, sometimes I blame my spirituality or vice versa. Like if I was just more spiritual, more creativity would come to me. But I've realized like, Most people will say this, that a lot of times they feel the most creative or get the most ideas when they're about to fall asleep, are on the freeway, are in the shower, when they're in this really, really relaxed state where their mind is allowed to wander. And that's the childlike space. That's the space where you're not thinking about all the shit you got to do today, who you got to call back, all the emails, you're just laying there sort of daydreaming and then...
0: It's almost like it can download, you know? Yeah, boy, the childlike thing really hit home because the uh, last week I was trying, I had to write something, but there was elements keeping me from it, and I threw a tantrum in the garage where nobody could see. But I was like, (laughs) I threw some things, boxes, nothing dangerous. But I was like, (laughs) but afterwards, I was like, what the fuck was that? But it was also like, I think there is a real solid connection to that.
1: There totally is. And like, it's funny, I've been finding out that there's a connection with sexuality as well with your playfulness and your creativity. Like they all kind of center around the same chakra. If We want to get really LA about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> but I do, I do feel like my, I feel like when I get to be playful, Like that's the only way I can be creative now. And so it's been funny because this whole year quarantine and COVID life, I've been doing all these really kid like crafts because it's the only thing that makes me feel really creative, like beading and sewing and, you know, puzzles and baking and all this stuff that there's zero pressure for my career. But I wake up thinking about doing it and I'm like, okay, wait, there is i'm not having a lack of creativity i just want create i want to be able to express myself creatively in a way that has zero pressure i want to do the fun shit which is totally a very childlike playful place of wanting to just fuck around all day
0: yeah i t- see i've when you were saying that and i was thinking about this this morning is like we what fucks us up is we attach what our definitions of what success is and that often also comes monetarily like Like I've had people ask me like, oh, how much are you making off your podcast? I'm like, it's not why I do it. Like, even if I was making 5 million a week, which I'm not, (laughs) but it's like, (laughs) clearly I'm not, but I'm like, who fucking cares? Like, is that why we do things? Like we, I really wish we could focus on redefining what success is because that's the only way most people view it. And it's like, Or what being creative is, because it's like, I, when you were saying earlier, like you're blocked, I'm like, I'm sure she's doing other creative things. And then you're like, I've been beating. And it's like, you're expressing yourself and that's what we should be doing. That's right. Like, just because it's not whatever, it doesn't mean anything.
1: No, I know. Gosh, I've had this frog in my throat all morning. Um, I know. I think it's exactly what you're saying that like, I wish there was a way that we could disconnect the definition from success from like monetary value. Like it, it it's, you know what I mean? Like Van Gogh didn't know that he became one of the most famous painters in the world. You know, does that make him any more or less successful? Like there, it bums me out. And then we also, as a generation, we love doing this thing where we find people who never made it and they're so incredible. And we like give their album from 60 years ago, a second life, Or, you know, whatever it is, which is another really strange one that I like. I'm like, okay, so we can all acknowledge that this person that never quote unquote made it is phenomenal. And now we want to like give it this whole new platform. But like, why can't we acknowledge that some of our best friends are incredible artists and it has nothing to do with whether they make it or not? Like I know so many amazing musicians and songwriters that no one knows And it doesn't make me think they're any less amazing, but it bums me out because I'm so programmed to still use words like make it, you know?
0: Yeah. It is programmed.
1: It's
0: total program. That's interesting. I wonder what the psychology of is our collective psychology of like that finding an album from sixty years ago and being like like that's weird and we do like it like and what's also strange is the whole uh, Rodriguez thing. From what I yes, but I also I've heard from secondhand. But I've also heard that there's a little bit of bullshit to that whole story.
1: I mean I wouldn't be surprised. Like anytime you start getting into like making movies about shit,
0: I don't know. (laughs) But (laughs) But it's also Oh, sorry. No, go ahead, go ahead Oh, I just, the I think when, too, when people say, like, make it and success It's like, if you knew how the industry worked Most, which I don't think most people do It's like, I mean, I know of stories where they've Bands have been signed so they could be oppressed by a label So another band can make it Like that, so so that whole make it thing is a load of fucking bullshit Because the strings are being pulled by a small amount of people Totally And they're all motherfuckers totally. <laughs>
1: I know, I know. Grady and I have to do this a lot where we, we talk about this a lot because we, you know, we're not just like musical partners, but we're also dating and we were also in indie bands for like eight years. So we have this really similar trajectory and we talk about how we really feel like we've made it because we have so much love in our life and we have so many incredible close friendships And we live in this really beautiful place that we're like, wait, isn't this, isn't this really what everyone's trying to get anyway? But then we have to temper ourselves because when there is some material success, we'll like really praise each other and be like, you're doing it. Like your dreams are coming true. And then we step back and we're like, are we reinforcing the subconscious notion that this is really what success is and it's so hard because I like he's got this album coming out and I'm so proud of him and all this cool shit keeps happening and I keep being like this is it this is it but then we're like wait this is the exact problem though we're trying to deconstruct that we like so deeply value outside approval as success but how do you like I want to be happy for my partner but it's also like we've realized that that's really the problem anyway so
0: what if But yeah, it's about also about it. it's like wild, just from seeing friends of mine get success to certain varying degrees. It's like I have friends who work as actors constantly and they're fucking unhappy. And I'm like, so, yeah. like what? And it stopped being fun. And I'm like, you're not to me. That's not. I'm like, is that successful? And I. It, yeah. And I also like when I was younger in this town, I had two lines on how I met your mother. And when I never watched the show, (laughs) I watched the show, which I had never seen. And I was like, a lot of people love the show. I was like, this is bullshit. This is like shitty vaudeville. (laughs) It's like, I was like, (laughs) I was like sitcoms haven't like grown at all. If anything, they've digressed since like shows like, you know, uh all in the family or you know it's like which were actually like about things and i was like these guys make gazillions of dollars on this series but i'm like this isn't like great art like what are they or maybe it is to some people not to but to me like, but to me i was like you're not like you know changing the world or anything i'm like is this success is this really what we consider success if you're doing work you know isn't good
1: i know I know that's so hard. I I I would I would hear all the time when I was still in the wild reads, like constant uh, you know, can't you guys just write a hit or write a single? it was like, at what cost? You know, and now the music industry is like, you know what you need to do, just put your music on TikTok, write a song that gets to the chorus within the first 10 seconds, get a clip of the song that's 15 seconds. It's like is, so so if I make it on TikTok tomorrow, my whole family will be like, she's finally done it. But the five other albums we put out where we poured our heart out and worked our asses off, we're not. That's not success. It's the 15 seconds on TikTok that everyone's going to forget about in three months. Like, it's just so backwards. And yet I have to stop myself from praising my friends, when that version of success happens because I still really want to be excited for the friend that got the audition or got the thing, but it's just it's I don't know, I can't figure it out. I haven't deconstructed it enough, yeah, because I'm still halfway brainwashed. I'm like
0: it's hard not to be, but the the only thing I guess for me, which has changed in that regard is like what money would mean, and i've my partner and I have spent the last five years in a fucking shit storm of near poverty <laughs> I mean in poverty and I had a very fortunate year so far this year so we were are actually able to like move but I'm always in the back of my head I'm like next year could be back to fucking food stamps and what have you not totally and, but I'm um, b- but like so the financial success would mean a lot or whatever I don't know if success is the right word but like if I made a if I sold a TV show and made a gob of money that would bring comfort to me and I could be like, oh, my kids could go to college or do whatever the fuck they want and not worry about it. That's the only thing I want is to have the financial security. The rest of it to me, I, I'm like, what's it mean? It means nothing. It's all ego and bullshit.
1: Yeah. The security part is really real. It really is. Like you, That does feel like a milestone to not have to worry you know, and it feels like something that everybody, it feels like it should be a fucking human, right? That like, we shouldn't have to worry about housing and our kids going to school and where our food's going to come from. And, yeah. But yeah, that that is a real motivator for having money. Like I, when I think about it, I'm like, I just want money so that I don't have to worry. I don't want enough money to fucking buy a yacht. I just want to not worry.
0: No, it angers me that that is such like just the basic thing of healthcare. Like if I have to pay for my own healthcare for the healthcare of my family next year, I am gonna I'm gonna be dealing coke. Like that's just yeah. like, like it's that
1: straight up level Breaking
0: of back. A- and that's that's infuriating to me, because that is, in my opinion, that's oppressive. That's oppressive, and and someone and the government knows that. They can't not know how oppressive it is.
1: It's the biggest fucking lie in America. Like, it's such a joke that we, that the supposed most powerful country in the world, that this is, it's insane. It's so embarrassing and shitty and wrong, and, like, it just bums me out so bad. I mean, yeah. I, I could go on forever, but it's so wrong.
0: Yeah. I mean, I've heard Nancy Pelosi, who at now could do it, because we supposedly have both, or they have both parties. I don't consider myself a part of any party. But they're like, how can... I don't know how we would afford it. I'm like, really? You don't know how you would afford it. Like, that's <laughs> just absurd to me. I could, I could suggest it real quick, how you could afford it. But it's... It's because
1: everyone's so averse to paying taxes. I don't know. I mean, it's just... It's such a bummer how many of my friends I've even seen go through like really horrific health shit cuz they're just too scared to go to the doctor or can't afford it and it's like man yeah this not it just shouldn't be this way yeah it's so um it's so so incredibly frustrating but yeah yeah our um America's entire definition of success I mean I'm sure people write dissertations on this all the time but it's just so backwards it's so backwards and I'm still trying to D program <laughs> still trying to
0: figure it it's amazing how in- integrated it is in our brain like it's just yeah and I mean I, I we my partner and I discuss these things all the time and it's just like I mean if I could get a small chunk of money I would just be like, like I wouldn't be one of those guys who needs like I look at guys like Tom Cruise I'm like when is it enough like how many like it's just like you could look in his eyes and you just see this laser like I must do it <laughs> it's like Yeah, and it's like do you go to bed at night and feel good about yourself or like i would like to make a small amount of money and then just move somewhere where i don't have to spend a lot of money and just be like enjoy life like isn't that what it's like i don't want to fucking retire and be like have maybe a decade of life where my knees don't work and like (laughs) like, i don't want to retire and be like well i'm too old to enjoy anything but i don't have to be anywhere
1: but see, I think that you, you just hit the nail on the head that like, really, really all anybody wants is like the enjoyment part, right? That, that like, I want to live like I'm retired now and I'm, it's pathetic cause I'm not, and I'm still attempting to live like I am, but clearly with my wine shirt, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> and my small dog in this throne, I think that, um, I think that, that Grady and I talk about this a lot, like what. When you really think of success, what are you really looking for? And it's a feeling, it's an actual feeling. And like, what is the feeling you're really looking for? And so much of it is so similar to how I felt as a kid when summer break still had like eight weeks to go and you just knew you didn't need to be anywhere. You didn't need to do anything. There was total freedom and bliss mode and you could just explore like That's really what I think the enjoyment you're talking about. Like, we just don't we don't want to work our whole lives and miss out on getting to lay around, or go on a hike, or smell a flower, or call a friend.
0: Yeah, (laughs) you know, I feel like the first industrial revolution is really what pounded this bullshit into our like we in a way we became machines of like we became slaves to the like got to be on time and work and blah, blah, blah. And like, that was, became such an ingrained thing and in the American psyche. And it's like, totally not, uh, again, not a healthy way to live. Like I would rather be broke and have the day free. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, totally. And all of that was for like war anyway. And like infrastructure, it was all yeah. just like we need to prove to other countries that we're bigger and better. It's like, dude, but really, how's that working out? Because we're not,
0: yeah. How much did going to Nepal for a year change your perspective? And how old were you when you went to Nepal?
1: Oh, my gosh. Wow. You're such a good researcher. Um, I went to
0: Nepal when I was 10, actually, Holy with my shit. mom. Wow, that's wild.
1: Yeah, I was like nine. With my, yeah, I went with my mom. And we went to visit a friend who was building a Waldorf kindergarten in an orphanage. And then when I went to college, I was a global studies major and you had to do a semester by yourself in another country where you like take your schoolwork with you and basically do like self homeschool. And so I went back and I became friends again with the girl that I was friends with when I was nine in Nepal, found her really crazy. And lived there for five months, came back and finished my college degree, got back on a plane and was like, get me the hell out of here. Cause I didn't know what I wanted to do after college. And I just wanted to go back. I was like, I don't want to be in America. I don't want to have to tell everyone what big job I'm attempting to get or whatever it is. So all together, it was a year. But Sp- spread out over those two big, like six month trips. And then the one month that I went when I was a kid and it's, um, I mean, it's like one of my favorite places in the world. And I feel so lucky. My mom basically after college was like, go fuck off. (laughs) Like forget she did. She, and I'm, I'm going to be forever grateful. She was just like this whole, like hop into the workforce thing. She was, you can live on nothing there. My rent was $30 a month in a two bedroom apartment. It's insane. So I really didn't need to have a whole lot saved up. I could just go live really simply. And I went back again with my best friend, same girl. And I didn't, it was like, I was allowed to float and i get lost for six months. And I really did get lost. Like should have come back sooner, but just kept staying. But even studying there in those five months in college, like I lived in, um, in a, basically a daycare facility, I lived with this family that ran a daycare and it was one of the most enlightening, beautiful experiences of my life. Like, like, I mean, there were like a hundred babies, Running around and like four adults. <laughs> it was insane, but it was really, really amazing. It was a really beautiful experience. And I think, I don't know, I learned a lot about how other people see America, That's like their perceptions of me. Like, you know, people like think American girls are like porn stars. It was just very weird. I had to constantly be like, no, 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 not me. That is not me. And realizing the impression that we've made and also how badly everybody wants that, it, that was a really hard to stomach and just be like, oh my gosh, like we've really, I feel like we've lied to the whole world and everybody just <laughs> everybody just wants to come to this party that's really not a party and that, you don't want to come.
0: It always fascinates me that I'm like, a lot of the world hates us, yet they still like admire our sort of, I don't know, greed, selfishness. I don't know, it's like... I know, confusing.
1: I know. I just keep thinking, like, you, like, have you not learned the American dream is a lie? But then I realize, like, no. I mean, a lot of people don't, re- you know, they don't know that. They, they're, you know, I think it was also really a beautiful experience because it, the smartphone had not made its way over there really yet, and it was just I had an iPhone here in America, but I turned it off when I got there, and they have uh, several hours a day where they have, um, what do you call it? Uh, electricity. So there were hours of the day where there was no electricity. So like no internet and you had to go to an internet cafe to get internet. So in a way I was able to go back in time into this place where my life did not revolve around a phone or Facebook or social media or anything. And also there were so many parts of the country that were still quite untouched by Western culture And so I got to really like live and be in spaces where you would wake up because of the roosters next door. And, you know, the woman who's like really just tending to her garden and picking rice in the fields and then bringing it into town to sell for the rest of the day. And I'm very scared to go back because I'm pretty sure that a lot of that has changed in the last 10 years. And I think maybe I was sort of there at the end of some of, of, that era and it felt like it was like the, the I don't know just this untouched part of the world that was about to was slash was starting to really change
0: wow yeah
1: That's,
0: I yeah I sadly I probably will agree with you that it's probably changed and it's I yeah w- I would love to go and be in a part of the world that just I remember I didn't have a half like I my cell phone broke and I didn't have one for a week. And I felt, I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> like, I know. It's like, is that crazy. and I find myself on mine a lot just because it's like, cause then I could sort of do work or maybe that's how I justify it to my crazy brain. But it's just like, it's not to go back to the spiritual thing. Not healthy. I don't think it's good for even psychologically. I think it's fucking us.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think if we had a third eye, if if that's what the our pituitary gland really is, it's shriveling as we speak. <laughs> it's, it's it's been it's the Wi-Fi waves have just turned it to a raisin and we're on our way out. Because I really think in so many ways the internet mimics the spiritual world, and we've just made a physical version, but the internet's not physical, but we've made a technological version of the spiritual world, this place where all information past and present can live, where we can access information at any time, where we can communicate with anyone at any time. And when you think about things like the Akashic records or the supposed ways in which humans used to be able to communicate without words across space and time, I don't know. I'm like, we just, we just recreated it. And I think that we're, we're phasing out some of our spiritual connection because we've replaced it in a weird way.
0: Yeah. I feel, and maybe it's just because of my own, I've been reinvesting my life into Buddhism and other, and (laughs) spiritual searching, and I'm like, and I had some talks with Grady and some other, but a lot of other people, and I'm like, are we, uh, is there a good portion of our culture or people moving back towards those things, and because... I don't know. Do you feel like, you, or is it just because I'm around it? Do you feel like people are sort of turning more towards Eastern philosophy or just things in general? I
1: do. I do. I think it's going to be harder for like, like human beings are going to have to be more intentional in order to be spiritually connected now. But I don't think that we're not spiritual beings anymore. And I think that, you know, there's been this whole like Eastern wave of stuff that the West has adopted for better or for worse. Like it's, I mean, yoga is incredible and, you know, there's so many things that it's brought to the West, but we've also kind of exploited it. But I do, I do think that people are starting to realize, gosh, I feel really unsatisfied and I can't figure out why, and I can't put my finger on it. And I think there's eventually going to be this bigger realization that social media and the internet are actually like making us sick that it's not just like a crutch or something we should get off of. Like, I think there's going to be more talk about like real technology addiction eventually, because I think that's kind of what it is. And we're going to, I mean, I'm scared for this younger generation that's been raised on it. Like what, I hate saying this, but like what type of mental illness are we really going to see? Like, it's bad. Like the amount of teenagers that have depression and anxiety at such a young age just because their interactions are now on the internet and it's so, I don't know, the whole thing freaks me out. So I think we have to try harder than we used to, to be spiritually connected, but you're right. I know so many folks who really care and really try and really want to cultivate that within themselves. Cause they're realizing like other shit's not feeling like it's doing
0: much, you know? Yeah. Do you sell the clothes you make online or anything like that?
1: Um, I have an online vintage store called bandwagon vintage, but I mostly sell in person and then randomly I like make shit and put it on there. Okay. So I'm, yeah, there's an Instagram for it, but that's probably the easiest way.
0: Okay. Yeah. Real quick. Why do you, do you start making clothes? Do you wear mostly vintage clothes?
1: Yeah. I wear mostly vintage clothes. I really don't make them. Like I make a lot of jewelry now and i repair a lot of older clothes but i'm just obsessed with digging mostly through piles of shitty clothes it's like a forager thing that i have to like express i like i'm addicted so i don't know i just if i see a pile of trash i will find the one thing in there that is salvageable it's, it's like really pathetic but that's my favorite thing to do so i decided i had to turn it into a business cuz i can't become a hoarder so i have to sell it all
0: i just i've been re- i boyfriend the rapper from New Orleans was on the show and she was talking about how she re- repurposes a lot of vintage clothing cuz we got to stop throwing buying new clothes and throwing them in the fucking dumpsters and yeah and i was like we really need to rethink what is fashion and what is cool because we need to that's a f- practical smart thing to do for the earth and ourselves is to just fucking repurpose clothing
1: big time Thrifting is the shit. Vintage is the shit. Keep it going.
0: Uh, thank you so much. I really greatly enjoyed talking to you.
1: Me too. Thanks for having such insightful questions and giving a shit and like really researching. It's so cool.
0: Oh, thank you. I try. Yeah. I've done my time in the thank you very much for listening to Conversations with The Wire. Please become a Patreon subscriber. If you like, also subscribe to the show. On your iTunes or what have you, not and tell your friends about the show. That would mean a lot to me. As well as uh, go to the link tree in the show notes or com or conversations with Dwyer at the Instagram, and you could learn more about the show, buy merch, and all those great things. Thank you very much for listening.